Welcome to Breakthrough Cocktail, where mixing up happiness, good life skills, and adding a dash of improv to help you live an awesome life. Please give it up for your breakthrough mixologist, Gary Ware. Welcome to another episode of Breakthrough Cocktail. I am your host, Gary Ware, and today I have my good buddy, Brian Lee. Welcome, Brian. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, Brian, first, before we jump back and find out how you got there, you're current the president of Revelation PR Advertising and Social Media, correct? Yeah, that's my primary business. I actually run several businesses, but that's where I spend and devote most of my time. Cool. So how about you tell us a little bit about that, what you guys specialize in, and then we'll we'll find out how you got there. We're a full service agency. What we're trying to do is help individuals and organizations strengthen their brand, manage issues, and or make money. And we do this by offering PR, marketing, advertising, social media, graphic design, and web design services. We actually work with several industries, including startups, healthcare, uh, AEC, which is architects, engineers, and construction, and also B2B. Awesome. And how long has the agency been around? I launched in January 2011, so we're just over three years in business. Cool. All right. So now let's rewind, you know, college. So now you're president of an agency specializing in PR, social media, advertising. What did you specialize in college? What was your major? Well, I'm going to make a short story long, if that's okay with it's you. It's all good. I actually entered college at the University of Wisconsin in Madison as a double major in mechanical engineering and math. So. I was a big math nerd and math whiz uh, growing up throughout life, and it was just another easy major, quote unquote, for me to tack on to mechanical engineering, where I thought all the jobs were. But um, I had a moment freshman year where I realized, oh my God, I don't want to do this anymore. So I went to, we have a department called the Cross College Advising, and they see a lot of poor souls like me. And they made me take a strong interest survey, as it was called, and just I answered 100 questions and then it spewed out my top job choices and number one for me was public relations. So that's how I got into the, the arena I am in now. So did you immediately make a major switch? I did, so I, uh, I had to apply for the School of Journalism and then so it was funny to have to apply to be in the College of Engineering and then, then uh, apply to be in the School of Journalism, got in. I also tried to tack on a, a minor in computer science at the time because I always thought it would be fun to be the PR director for a company like Microsoft. But uh, after taking a lot of advanced courses, unfortunately, I realized it was going to take me four and a half years to graduate, so I had to drop off comp sci and just focus on uh, PR. And then once you graduated, did you immediately jump into the workforce or did you take some time off? So I did immediately work. I know a lot of people like to do the backpack trip through Europe and stuff, but I, I wanted to work right away. And part of the reason is one of the major hurdles I faced uh, early in my career is that I was senior in which I did want to do sport. And in researching it, I realized that most people get their start freshman or sophomore year in some kind of college athletic department, and I didn't have that experience. And frankly, I was told that I was too old to start at that point. So with dogged determination, I figured out the path I needed to to take in order to get into sports. And so it, it was a little bit of a journey. It took me about two and a half years longer than uh, other people would have gotten in, but that's, that's, that's my story to get into sports. And so let's, let's talk about that journey a little bit. So what did you have to do knowing that you were the underdog and you probably should have started a long time ago? What did you have to do to get into that? I couldn't be as risky as perhaps other people could have. I had to be very certain that my uh, job choices in those two and a half years were going to push me forward and propel me into a job and at that time my goal was either to work at a major pro sports franchise 
or a major Division One university. So I, I picked along the, jo the jobs along the way and felt, okay, if I get this job, I can parlay that into this job, which I can parlay to the next job and so forth. And then on top of that, I also tried my best to connect with everyone in the industry because, you know, every, it's a small sports is especially small it's about who you know and and a lot of people help mentor me and provide me advice and connect me with other people along the way so how did you find those mentors you seem like you were hustling did you just reach out to people and they automatically accepted you or did people introduce you well one is that um, I had friends that were working in sports that I just happened to know so they were my primary or first introductions into the world and then one of the first things I knew I needed to do was be a, a, a media volunteer when the University of Wisconsin was host of the Sweet 16 tournament uh, back in 2002, I, I was a media volunteer and I got to see the sports side from the, the back, back end of things. And then from there, I networked with everyone in that room because it was mostly a lot of other PR directors um, in other sports institutions coming to volunteer for this. So that's how I first got my name out there. Were people accepting to just take you under their wing? Uh, let's talk about one of the mentors that you got along the way. Well, one of the first people I met was uh, the person that hired me after my for my second job after college. Um, it was a Division three college here in Madison, and I had met them met him at the Sweet Sixteen tournament. And after I completed my job, my immediate job after college was working for a minor league baseball team, and so that was my experience into pro sports. And from there, uh, my next job was working for him, and he was great. He he showed me a lot of stuff because I think the smaller you go, like a Division three college, for example, the more hats you have to wear and so that was my chance to see a lot of different but the marketing side event management and so forth wow what was it like just wearing so many hats did you feel like you were out of place or you didn't have the right skill set i ate it up i absorbed every minute of it i completely loved it because i'm a guy that can't do the same job over and over and over again like i love variety in a job and that's why i love pr marketing and that, that job I had in sports and the subsequent jobs I had in sports were the same. Like I got to do a lot of different things and that was really rewarding to me and challenging to me too. And at what point did you realize, you know what, I'm not necessarily interested in sports marketing and you pivoted to your next adventure? Great question because my last sports job was working at my alma mater at University of Wisconsin. I thought for me that was a, a dream job, but Unfortunately, it was a lot of other people's dream jobs. And that department had probably the least amount of turnover out of any department I've seen. And I know a lot of other departments um, in other institutions. And unfortunately, there was really no chance for advancement. Plus, it's a state-owned uh, university. So you follow the state promotional schedule, which is really based on time, not really um, merit. And there were a lot of people that were there for many, many years. And I just looked up and I'm like, there's no chance for me to ever leapfrog them. I would have to wait for them to retire, which would still be a long ways away. Also at that time, this is three years into that job, is when um, career goals and family goals intersected too. And so I realized if I wanted to move up in the sports world, and I did have an eye on becoming an athletic director someday, I knew I would have to move to other cities and work up the ladder that way. And at the time, my wife and I were thinking, you know what, we really want to raise uh, our kids or start a family here in Madison. And so that forced me to have to quit sports. Gotcha. And so when you made that decision, then what? Did you do some soul searching? How did you find your next path? 
What I, uh, I I had two ideas in mind. One is that I really love the university, and I was willing to work in another department, just not sports, at the University of Wisconsin. But the bigger pull for me was working in the agency. I really wanted to experience another fast-paced environment, and I thought, well, agency life is the way to go. I had many friends that worked in agencies, and they told me how much they love it, and. I thought, I think I can do that too. I, to me, agencies are the high risk, high reward that I thrive on. And so how did you get that first agency gig and, and what was the position? Um, amazingly, it was the first position I applied for at an agency. Um, I really sold myself as um, in an agency in which people typically will work on several accounts and have to juggle a lot of tasks at the same time with overlapping deadlines and so forth. That's what I sold. I said, I can do that. I've been working with multiple teams to have over, overlapping seasons. I have to work with both coaches and athletes. So that's like working with you know CEOs and employees at, at different companies. And I said those skills really translate to an agency setting. Um, and the, that was one of the major selling points for me. So what you're saying is if someone is not necessarily at an agency and they're looking to transfer, they need to understand what they're currently doing and translate it to something that's agency speak, right? So that they can relate? That's correct. I, I think there's the stigma that, well, first of all, once you're in sports, which is hard to break in, then it's also hard to break out because then you get labeled as, oh, you're just a sports guy. And I, I get that because you become so specialized on doing sports things like stats and your weekly press conference that you don't get to do a, a variety of other things that perhaps someone in another company or a type of, type of environment would do. And so and to make sure that some of the major points of work that I was doing, that body of work, could sell me for other types of work. And you were also very involved in your local ad too in Madison. Uh, let's talk about that for a bit. How did you get involved with that and what made you want to be part of that club? I've always believed in the value of professional development and plus I also like networking too. I think for anyone that works in PR, marketing, advertising, social media, etc., you have to continue to learn. Um, think how much social media has come in just the last two years, three years, and five years, right? And if you're not continuously learning, I, I think you're going to get passed by that by, with uh, again from people that are trying and trying to get ahead in the world. So that's why I love organizations like Ad2, AAF, and also PRSA, in which I'm actively involved, because they did provide those professional development opportunities. Great. And... Uh, you're also president of your local A Ad2 chapter. Talk about that. Like, what made you want to take on? That's a big undertaking. So, were there any anything that really got your attention and you decided you wanted to be president? I just always had that leadership bug in me. I've been uh, president of several other boards, and I think uh, with any kind of organization, leaders just sort of rise to the top. And for me, it was also a way of giving back to the organization because I had gotten so much out of it that I wanted to make sure that the next generation also got a lot out of it, either on a professional level or even personal level. And that's why I decided to uh, run for president and then also eventually run for the national board of directors too. Awesome. And can you talk about some things that you learned as president that's helped shape your current career and your current personal life? I think keeping people motivated and on task because it's very easy for any person out there to get sidetracked with things that don't have a high priority or aren't really as important as something else. And it's making sure that the people under you really, really keep that um, laser focused. 
the other thing that um, I really got to practice and, and, and see firsthand is protecting your board members. And when you're the elite organization, you're the face of it, but sometimes at the end, you got to save everyone below you. So in cases in which um, some board members were working with clients, sometimes I would have to come in as the quote unquote bad guy in order to protect the relationship that uh, you know one of my subordinates had with the client. You know, I had to come in and say, look, you know, we can't do this. This is the scope of our project, et cetera. And so that, that was good training for real life, too. Gotcha. Just moving on in your journey, you eventually at one point just decided to just drop everything and just be your own solo entrepreneur. Uh, can you tell a little bit about that and how you were inspired? What made you want to make that pivot? And let's talk about that for a little bit. Okay, there's a couple factors here. One is that um, I always believe that there's people who like to seek out their own opportunities and then there's a camp of people who hope things happen to them and i've never been in the latter i've always been in the former that i'm not going to just sit around and hope oh someday maybe i'll get promoted or whatever i'm out there busting butt and trying to live life right and so part of that inherent nature of me knew that someday i was going to probably start a company but then uh several catalysts occurred that really pushed me forward. And I, I kid you not, it started with going to a conference in which I talked to a guy named Gary Ware. And he, Gary told me to read the book, The 4-Hour Workweek. At that same conference, our keynote speaker, uh, Park Howell, I believe his name, also recommended The 4-Hour Workweek. And I hadn't even heard of that book, and I immediately read it, uh, bought and read it, and loved it. The first third of that book talks about how people use the excuse, now is not the right time. And at the time, I was thinking, well, if I leave my agency, uh, you know, I had just landed a national account for the agency I was working with, and we were going to start that contract January 3rd of 2011. I thought, well, I better work this client account a little bit. You know, maybe in three months I can quit. But then I thought, well, that's me using the excuse now is not the right time because invariably something else happens. We then I can't quit till June, and then not till September, and then then not till 2012. So I figured, you know what? By the time the first of the year rolls around, I'm just gonna go no matter what. And so I really came to this decision around the holiday time. And I, I'm glad I did it because, you know, I haven't looked back since. Awesome, all right. And I did not pay him <laughs> to, for that awesome uh, compliment. So, but thank you for that. Um, so I, it must've been scary. You, you just took this leap of faith and just hope that things worked out. And, you know, they did and now look at you. Um, you know, can you talk about that journey that you went through, especially in those first couple of months of after just quitting your stable job and now you're out on your own? Yeah, it, you know, it certainly was scary. Fortunately, I mitigated some of the risks in that my wife was working full time. So, you know, at least we still had some income coming in. Um, what I did was I did talk to a lot of business owners in the Madison area that I really respected for their advice. And it was very interesting is that while they did provide some advice, the talks really just became pep talks. Like, Brian, you can do this, you know, you're gonna do well, you're gonna succeed. And I actually think that was more useful than providing straight advice because just just to have people in your corner saying that, no, we believe in you, that really meant a lot to me. And then that positive thinking, that positive energy really carried me a long way. But yes, it, was, it certainly was scary. There were times in that first year I was thinking, oh my God, am I gonna make it? Like. This is very, very hard. I'm working a lot of hours. I'm not seeing that much return. But you know, now looking back three, three years in the future is that 
I was setting the cornerstone for a lot of foundation building back then, and it, it's been paying off today. Awesome. And can you let our audience know what you ended up doing when you quit your job? Oh, so um, I, I launched uh, Revelation PR Advertising and Social Media. It's a full-service agency, as we discussed. Um, I also had another business at the time, and I was able to devote a little more time to it. It's a dining guide called EatDrinkMadison.com, and uh, we do a lot of restaurant reviews, product reviews, and so forth, too. So, Gotcha. And along that journey, I'm pretty sure you've had multiple failures and, and things that you've learned from that. Can you speak to one or two of those? Certainly. So I've had some heartbreaks in my last three years of this agency. Um, we've come in second place three times to major clients that I would call whales. The ones that completely change your agency where you have to staff up immediately, get a larger office space. And it's like you've now made it. It's your big shortcut or your, you know, your chutes and ladders that you're now you climb to the top, right? And those all three times, we legitimately and honestly thought we were going to win those accounts. It wasn't like, oh, okay, wow, that's great. We took second. It was like, God, we took second? We, we were just so stunned that we lost those accounts. And the first time, it was just heartbreaking. I, I, it took me a long time to get over it. A long time meaning probably like two and then the next two times, it doubled my effort to land what I would call probably like sturgeon, you know. So not quite the whale, but enough that you could still live and support your team. Um, but those were really tough because it makes you think, what did I do wrong? You know, like we took second and we had everything right there so that I, logically we should have been taken. And for some reason we weren't. But um, yeah, I think I've hopefully grown stronger from it. And I certainly didn't ever um, think worse of my myself or my team like well we're maybe we are inadequate no I never thought that at all it just forced us to try harder and now you have a team now you had to staff up and you're responsible for a team can you speak to some of the qualities that helped you choose the people that you have on your team what made them stand out being in organizations like at RSA I've gotten to really know a lot of the practitioners in at least in Madison area and across the country and I hate to say it, the industry that for employees, it's high, high supply and not the matching demand. And so it's it's can be more difficult as an employer to find the right people uh, to, that would fit your company or client or whatever, right? And so for me, I had read the book, Good to Great, and I'm just killing on the name of the author right now, but... Um, we'll put the link I, in the show notes, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> One of one of he things he talks about is what good companies will do is that they will look at the services they offer and try to find the best employees to offer those services. So, for example, in the agency, they're going to say, you know, who we offer social media, who's great at social media? We also offer marketing, who's great at marketing? Great companies hire just the best overall employees out there and shape the company around them. And so that was a major change because I was to the point where we were getting enough work and when I was just by myself that I felt, well, I have to start hiring people. And originally in the good company thinking, I was thinking, well, I need someone that's going to be really good at two or three things and that way, um, you know, I don't have to hire like five employees when one employee can do it all. You know, that kind of really good employee. But good to great said, don't hire that employee. Hire someone just awesome and build around them. And so that was what I did with the company and the people I've been bringing in. And it's really been wonderful because um, the, the growth we've gotten and the clients we've gotten as a result, I, I've been just fascinated, uh, not fascinated, just, uh, just wowed. And for our listeners who want to be 
who want to find a great job and be seen as one of those great employees, can you give them a tip of something that they can do to stand out when they're either submitting their resume or in that interview process? I cannot stress how important it is to get your face out there. So one of the challenges of any employer is finding the right fit. And when you're looking at a stack of resumes, what do you typically do? You take maybe the top five, everyone's resume, I hate to say it, looks the exact same on paper. And so how do you distinguish someone? You're bringing all these applicants. I really think that the personal touch, the human touch goes a long way because that employer is thinking, you know what? Uh, you, yeah, you may be great on paper, but if you don't get along with our graphic designer and our senior account exec and our media buyer, I can't hire you because it's like that class project you had in college and you had that one jerk on the team who brought the whole team down. Now you're in a real life professional environment. So it's not just being good at what you do, but it's also being a good person. Awesome. Very good tips. And it wouldn't be a breakthrough cocktail podcast without talking about what we're drinking. So Brian, what are you drinking today? Well, it, it's interesting. Uh, we do have a full bar here in my office. Uh, in my office alone, I have a, uh, several bottles of uh, liquor here, and then uh, we have another bar set up, and then we have a beer fridge. So we're like a stereotypical agency, that is, and we can make any cocktail from martinis to old fashions to Manhattans and so forth. We always joke that when clients come over, it's a two-drink minimum. But uh, because it's only 1 o'clock my time right now, and I still have actually a lot of work to do, I am... Uh, <laughs> I'm actually drinking water with, uh, you know, one of those, like, it's not meal, but it's a, one of those spray bottles that you yeah. just pour in to f add flavoring. Yes. I've been trying to drink more water. Everyone says drink, what, eight glasses of water a day. Do you know how hard that is to drink eight glasses of water a day? Water is so boring, I hate to say. And this is the only way I can drink water. Now, I'm probably killing myself in some other way that I don't realize. But uh, I really like adding these bottles and uh, the, the little flavorings, and I, I have stacks of them. And so the way I can drink eight glasses a day. Awesome. And you know what? I am the same way. I need to drink more water. I'm actually drinking uh, tea from the Red Blossom Tea Company. And it's a wild leaf uh, mingai. It's a Pura tea. Uh, it's from 2003. And so this is like aged tea. And speaking of Tim Ferriss, he was the one who recommended it. And it's a very earthy tea. And I have it here in my cool little mug. In fact, this is, uh, my wife picked this out, uh, so she gets props for this fancy mug here. But it's very earthy. It's supposed to give you energy. I don't really know if that's true, but um, it's, compared to most green teas, this one is not that bad. So I'll include a link in the show notes if you guys are interested in checking it out. All right. I, I'm a big dork here. I'm, I'm drinking, uh, this particular flavor is Kool-Aid Fruit Punch. Like, I'm a grown adult drinking uh, Kool-Aid, but... You know it's what? really good. There's nothing wrong with that. And I drink Kool-Aid all the time. I am not ashamed to say that. <laughs> all right. So we're going to jump into the lightning round. These are some questions that I ask just about all of the people that come on to break the cocktail. And the first question is, when you were a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? An oceanographer. Ah, awesome. I'm really fascinated by all things in the sea, from the animals, sharks, whales, to the you know creatures we still haven't documented because we just never see them. Uh, sunken ships and treasures and all that kind of stuff and um, what uh, changed my mind was when I researched what an oceanographer actually does and I didn't realize they spend the vast majority of their time in a lab analyzing and you know doing research and I'm like ooh okay I thought they would actually be more time on the water and that was not the case so that uh, changed my mind right away next question is what was your first job as a child or as a teenager or whatnot 
It's really funny. Um, I've always wanted, and believe this, I really always wanted a job working at a movie theater. I, I thought that would be so fun to, um, you know, be in that environment, watch free movies, you know, whenever the employees were allowed to watch free movies, probably get unlimited popcorn and all that. But my first job was working at the Wisconsin Department of Revenue. And this is before people could really e-file. So all day I would enter taxes by hand into our computer system. Wow. you would get carpal tunnel syndrome because it's like eight hours of just constantly entering taxes. I got to be really good at typing with one hand numbers, but oh my God, that was a brutal job. And most of those positions have been limiting now that people can e-file. Yeah. Um, If you don't mind me asking, how old were you when you had this job? Let's see. I think I was uh, 16. 16, Wow. That was a long time ago. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It was... uh, um, it was not the typical job a teenager gets, but uh, you know it was it was nice. The pay was good. Gotcha. Um, it, it, there weren't really any other kids working there. It was all adults, so that was that was a little different too. Okay. Do you set goals frequently? All the time. In fact, I'm now um, consulting with a business advisor, and she's really helping me to further focus my goals. I think if you don't set goals in anything you do from personal training to work to just life in general, your budget, your finances, uh, you could be really missing out on things. And and I feel that just like in our profession, then you're just doing tactics and not looking at strategy and figure out the, the best and most efficient ways of accomplishing something. Gotcha. And a few more questions. How do you stay organized? You're, you have so many things that you're juggling and you have a family. Do you have any tips on just staying organized and staying focused i used a i use a lot of apps so of course i use evernote to keep track of pretty much everything i also uh, also use wonderlist for my to-dos i use um let's see insightly to manage my crm i i have a uh, toggle for all my timekeeping and so tons of apps like that Reich for project management it's just what keeps me going because I know with all the things going on, uh, you know, I'm going to forget. And I've, even at the top of the show, we didn't talk about the other like businesses I run and, and other things I do. It's, it's it's a lot. And one of the last ones is, is there a quote or a series of quotes that you like to live your life by? You know, I love those types of quotes, but I, I always feel like I'm forgetting how to exactly say it. So I will just say I'm paraphrasing something. I really like Albert Einstein's uh, definition of sanity. It's doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Um, you know, I, I agree to automation and processes to an extent, but I, I see it so much in the world, like people just constantly do something and think, hey, it'll be different next time. And I'm like, no, you need to challenge the status quo in a good way, of course, um, because otherwise you're, <laughs> it's insanity. Gotcha. And the very last question is, if you can give our audience one thing that they can do, one easy thing that they can do right now that will help them better their life and find their passion, what would that be? Wow. Uh, I don't know if I can limit to one, but um, I, I would say is to build your network, your social network. I network a lot. I go to a lot of different networking events, professional groups, whatever. And it's really enriched my life both socially, professionally, and personally too. You know, when you're down in the dumps or riding high, having that network will really help you. And no matter what facet, you know, from, hey, I need uh, advice on getting a home mortgage or, hey, does anyone have referrals for me for my new business? Having a good personal network will really carry you far. Awesome. That's great. And your network has <laughs> definitely helped you as well. Um, Certainly has. 
So that is all of the questions I have. So just wanted to throw it over to you. Just, um, you know, let our audience know how they can get in touch with you if they have further questions or just feel free to plug all your businesses. Yeah, well, please feel free to visit our website, experiencerevelation.com, experiencerevelation.com. We actually just launched an ebook uh, this week called Using Social Media for Business. Um, I also teach social media at a college here in Madison, and I, I primarily teach people that are in business, not traditional students, that is, and seeing all the different ways from small businesses to medium-sized businesses can really take advantage of all the things social media and digital marketing tools can do for you. So that's our book. It's You can find the link on our website. Cool, and I include a link down there in the show notes as well. And uh, yeah, Brian, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been awesome catching up with you. And Very pleasant to mine. Yeah, and the audience, until uh, next time, check out the show notes to get more information. We'll see you guys later. You've been listening to Breakthrough Cocktail. If you liked what you heard, be sure to visit www.breakthroughcocktail.com forward slash newsletter to sign up for the insider newsletter. As a subscriber, you'll get instant access to exclusive content and frequent doses of happiness. See you there. Until then, stay awesome.